Well, good morning. Welcome again to St. Paul's. My name is Tyler. We're so glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, we're just delighted that you're worshiping with us this morning. I invite you to pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, I ask that you send your spirit now on this place and drown us in it so that all that we know and all that we hear might reveal to us the face of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask it. Amen. Well, a few months ago, I started having trouble sleeping. We're not talking chronic insomnia or any terrible condition here. It was this sound. I usually fall asleep after Natalie does, so she'd be out, and I would finally put down whatever I was reading and turn off the light, and then my head would hit the pillow, and this high-pitched whining noise would start. And I knew it wasn't in my head, because I only heard it in our room. It sounded a little like it was coming from outside, but it was one of those sounds you can't quite tell. You know, you're going into bat mode, and you can't tell where it's coming from. For days, I assumed there was some sort of disruption in our neighborhood, like there was some equipment left on in the house that's being renovated across the street, or maybe something going on with the electrical or the telephone wires, but maybe it was in our room, and it was driving me batty. So finally, one night, I got up in exasperation, looking around our room in the dark in my pajamas like a crazy person, and suddenly, there it was right in front of me. In desperation, I turned off the power strip that powers our floor lamp, an instant silence, just this bliss. Something about this obviously defective power strip makes this very subtle ringing noise, and it's not that the noise started when I went to bed, it's that the noise is so inconspicuous that I couldn't hear it until all my attention was focused on going to sleep. During the day, with all the noise of the city and the hustle and bustle of life, the kids, traffic, sirens, construction, the power strip's whine was totally drowned out. I couldn't hear it if I tried. But when all of that was finally hushed, it was all I could hear. And it probably says something not complimentary about my personality that I haven't changed that power strip. I just turn it off every night before I go to bed. It's not always easy to listen. Other things get in the way. Sounds, conversations, but it's not always audible noises that distract us. Sometimes it's mental noise. So I'm embarrassed to say that sometimes during worship, I struggle to listen. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. In our worship services here, we read scripture every week. It's God's word to us. We have beautiful music put together by our fantastic music directors, Ian and Josh, and led by our amazing worship band and our choir. And yet, if you're anything like me, there's going to be times where you find yourself tuning out during a reading or a song, thinking of this or that instead of the scripture, Maybe you're even singing lyrics with your mouth, but your mind and heart are thinking about work or that irritating text that someone sent to you or your to-do list. And after all, if you missed the scripture reading, there's going to be a sermon to tell you what it said, right? Well, not today. <laughs> today is our service of Easter lessons and carols. And in the service of lessons and carols, you get a series of scripture readings paired with musical selections that draw out the theme, the spiritual theme. So incarnation in our Advent lessons and carols, and today, resurrection and new life with our Easter lessons and carols. And in these services, it's the lessons, the reading and the singing that do the heavy lifting of teaching and inspiring and moving our hearts. And that's why the sermon today is stepping to the side, so to speak. 
and we're putting the reading of God's word and the singing of God's people front and center. So my purpose here is really to invite you into a time of deep listening. Over the next little bit, you're going to hear four readings from Scripture, each followed their lessons, each followed by a piece of music, carols. These pairings aren't accidental. The readings and the music that follow are in a conversation with each other, and we get to listen in. We are blessed to have music directors who are as theologically sensitive as they are gifted in their musical art. So the juxtaposition of reading and song is deeply intentional. You might think of a lesson and a carol in this kind of service as a single breath. Inhale the scripture reading, take it in, exhale the song. And each of these pairings is going to lift up a different aspect of resurrection. What it means that we say we claim a new life in Jesus. Different aspect of resurrection, of Easter, and the promise of new life in Jesus Christ. So that's what you should attend to. Where do you hear new life? So as we proceed, I encourage you to turn off the noises that usually distract you as best you can. Definitely silence your cell phones if they're not already. And just actively attend to the lessons and carols. As you hear God's word being read, what do you hear? What words, images, concepts stand out to you in the readings? We're going to hear readings about new life. What do you hear in those? And then what do you hear in the response of the carol? Can you see the points of intersection between scripture and song? What does the music bring out of the scripture? Do any of the images and themes that you noticed in the lesson reappear in the music? And maybe most important, how does the music make you feel? How does the song help you respond to the scripture, not just with your head, but with your heart? So let's pray, and then we'll listen, and then I'll come back up briefly to share a little bit about what I heard while I was listening along with you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we know you are in this place. Rest on us like a blanket, I pray, silencing all else so that we may hear your voice. Amen. So what'd you hear? I'll tell you one thing I noticed. Our lessons started and ended with the hope of a new age. Isaiah was our first one, and it gave us a picture of the new age as a feast in God's house, where food and wine, rich food and aged wine, the details matter, have replaced death and shame. And then those last words of Matthew, the promise at the end of Matthew, I am with you always until the end of the age, until that time comes where we feast together. The age we live in where the work of cross and resurrection is done but God's work isn't complete, and you know that because you live in this world, which means that we're a people who have to live in hope, and our musical response was all about that hope, the waiting character of the Christian life between what is and what we know deep down in our guts, what ought to be, what's coming. We will feast and weep no more. We will feast and weep no more. He has done great things, we will say. We will say, he has done great things. We claimed that hope with our song. Hope is something you sing. I heard, too, how the resurrection of Jesus anchors that hope. Christian hope isn't just wishful thinking like, oh, I hope I win the lottery, even though I never buy a ticket. The lesson from Romans reminds us that we hope what we hope because we believe what we believe about Jesus. 
that to be baptized is to be baptized into Christ's death, and that Christ will pull us through that death to share in his resurrection. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And didn't we just sing that? The roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. Death has lost its grip on me because of Jesus Christ, our living hope. Our hope is not that events are going to go a certain way, that a certain person is going to be elected, or that certain laws are going to be passed. Our hope is the living person of Jesus Christ, who we're talking about as if he's in the atrium, but his spirit is even now in this room with us, a living presence right now. And then I heard the story that grounds all of it, the story of the empty tomb that gets proclaimed at Easter, how the women who loved Jesus best went to care for his body and found an empty grave instead and angels declaring the Lord's absence. And it's not a metaphorical resurrection. It's not as though Jesus came back to life. It's not that Jesus lives on in our hearts and memories. It's not that Jesus came back as a ghost. It's that Jesus really and truly Jesus, who died, rose again, meets his friends in a mysterious resurrection body and then tells them to go tell the others. He's going ahead of them and he's got work for them to do. And that's what we sang. Christ trampled over death by death. He conquered death by suffering it. He entered death like light entering a dark room. And now we call to another, come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave, don't sleep on this promise, live this new life. Faith is not just an accessory, not just a Sunday event, come live this new life that is promised to you when you attend to Jesus. And then finally that story of Jesus calling his disciples to meet him in the north in Galilee. That's how we ended joining his disciples on that mountain. And it's a familiar story for some, the so-called Great Commission, where Jesus tells his 11 remaining top students to go and make disciples out of all the nations on earth. But when I listened, I've heard this text a million times, but when I listened to it this time, what I heard was a group of people that sounded a lot like us here. I don't mean that in a self-congratulatory way, more in a sort of a marveling at the work of God kind of way. Like if you've been here for any time at all, you will hear us talk about people being at different stages on their what? Spiritual journey. Thank you very much, regulars. Because we recognize that not everybody's in the same place. And here's these disciples. They've come a long way from Jerusalem to Galilee. They've climbed this mountain. Mountains are big and Jesus is still presumably somewhere between five and six feet, so he's not huge. And they see this figure up on the mountain. And it looks like Jesus, and they worshipped, and some doubted. But it's not two groups, the doubters and the worshippers. They're worshipping, but some of them still have some questions. And that's evidently not a problem. Got some doubts? Okay. You've already come a long way just to be here. And Jesus won't let you down, because Jesus comes to them and says... Go, make disciples of every nation, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Now, a disciple is just a student. That's all that word means. A student, but not of an academic subject, of a, of a person. A master who the disciple is learning to be like. 
And that's precisely who we say we are here, a group of people learning how to follow Jesus, which just means learning how to be like him. And learning to be like him means learning to obey him, not in a slavish, culty kind of way. It just means trusting his teachings on how to live this life. That's why the rhythm of life is at the center of everything we do together and how we live together with these five practices that orient us toward Jesus, making sure that every part of our life on Sunday, Monday, all the way through the week is pointed toward following him grounded in this weekly act of worship that we're doing now, extending through our week in daily prayer and scripture study, which is simply to say daily relationship with God, because that's what prayer is. It's sitting in the presence of God with your heart oriented toward God, whether there are words involved or not. And scripture study, both through our independent Bible reading and also through our connect groups. If you're not part of a connect group, I'd really encourage you to seek one out where we learn together, helping one another, on this walk of faith. And it all manifests in this Jesus-like life of service, generosity, and faithful living. What else do we say here? We say we're a growing and diverse community. If you've been here more than one Sunday, you've probably heard us say that. Exactly. We can hear the scripture reading and think, that happened, like that thing that Jesus said, it happened. That thing of going into the world and making disciples of all nations, that happened, that's why we exist. There aren't people here from every nation, but there are people here from a lot of nations. And there's a straight line between that mountaintop and this, you guessed it, diverse and growing community at St. Paul's Bloor Street. And not only did it happen, it's still happening. This thing we heard at the end of Matthew 28, it's not done yet. We're still making disciples here as heirs of that mountaintop mandate. If you are spiritually seeking, the Alpha course starts this Wednesday. It's perfect for you. There's a free dinner, and you'll make some good friends. We're baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit right there on June 18th. And if you'd like to be baptized this June or baptize your child, or if you'd like to be confirmed, you can still join our preparation class, Turning to Christ. It starts next Sunday. And in just a moment, we're going to celebrate a group of people who have decided they want to become members here to say this is their spiritual home. We are still making disciples here. On our best day, it's all we do here. Through these lessons and songs, I was trying to listen just like I hope you were. And what I heard was resurrection life. That the resurrection of Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago is not just a historical curiosity, not simply an event in the past. Yes, an event in the past, but it doesn't stay in the past because it anchors our hope for a new age and gives us a way to live together what we're doing right now in the present by the sheer grace and goodness of God. Amen.